So we are continuing here at Mercy Church a series on the characteristics of a thriving church. The characteristics of a thriving church. And if you were here at the beginning, and many of you weren't, uh, but some of you were, of course. Uh, so I should say many of you were, but some of you weren't. Uh, I created this kind of rubric to kind of help us to understand whether we are a thriving church or not. And the rubric was very, very simple. The rubric had three parts to it. Um, are we growing? Are we going? And are we giving? Three characteristics of a thriving church. Are we growing in Christ? Are we going for Christ? And are we giving to Christ? Those are three characteristics I believe, of a thriving uh, church. Well, today we're going to focus on the going. We spent a lot of time over the last number of weeks, if you were not here with us, on, um, on the, the devotion to prayer, uh, the preaching the full counsel of God, discipleship in the home, discipleship in the church. This is all for us to grow up in Christ, to become mature, even our children, to see them grow in Christ. And we spent a lot of time on that, and that was the growing. Well, today we need to get going. Just not yet. Just wait. We need to go for Christ. We need to grow, go for Christ. And, and I believe that when we go for Christ, we're using our spiritual gifts. Each one of us have been gifted with various gifts for the building up of the body of Christ, but also for the going out with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean to be a going church? Well, to answer that question is to answer these questions. How do I show the love of Christ to a hurting community? How do I remain an active member of a missional church that's placed in a particular space and time, and that's a McQuesta neighborhood in this year at this time? How do I become an active member of a missional church in the going? Well, I think one simple, ordinary, and maybe radical answer to that of way of going is through hospitality of being you could say the good samaritan in a neighborhood that needs our love as was shared on a beautiful social media post this week and i hope you had a chance to read that post and, and maybe even share it i do encourage that it was written no matter what the world may think of christianity there is nothing more applauded than a good Samaritan. And I agree with that. doesn't matter what the world might think of Christianity, it does not critique a good Samaritan. It's such a powerful witness for the gospel when we show hospitality. Rosaria Butterfield again, she says this, hospitality in a post-Christian, that's the world we live in, an isolated, lonely world is one of the most valuable gifts to the church to reach our society. One of the most valuable gifts to the church is the gift of hospitality. And I believe hospitality is a Christian virtue. And I believe hospitality fills many of the pages of Holy Scripture. So we're very much instructed by Scripture in what to do about hospitality. But here's the rub before we get into our text this morning. I've came across this quote a number of times, or quotes like this a number of times as I prepared this message, and it goes something like this. Given the clarity of biblical instructions to be hospitable in the association of hospitality with righteous living 
and being a good Samaritan, it's disturbing, says this author, to realize how negligent many Western Christians and churches are at providing hospitality. Another author wrote something similar. The biblical vision of hospitality that welcomes the stranger is largely missing in many Western churches. So the question is, is it missing at Mercy? Is it missing in this neighborhood that we are called to plant our church in? Are we a hospitable church, not just on Sunday when we welcome people into this space, but are we hospitable during the week to the same people? What does it mean to be a church devoted to ordinary radical hospitality? And do we realize that a thriving, fruitful, growing church actually practices radical, ordinary hospitality? And by the way, I stole that from Rosaria Butterfield, so it's not mine. I thought it's pretty cool. Radical, ordinary hospitality. You can deal with that later. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the story then of the Good Samaritan. I think that's pretty radical. I think it's quite ordinary all the same. And we get that story um, in chapter 10 of Luke. So chapter 10 of Luke, let's read the story of the Good uh, Samaritan. We're going to begin then um, at verse 25, and we're actually going to read the story of Martha and Mary, which is also a story about hospitality, and I think the author, uh, Luke, put those stories together because they're actually something, something to learn from both of them about hospitality. Here we go. Uh, Luke 10, verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we already talked about in the pre-serve or in the, around, the, around the law. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, uh, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Here's the question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the one, to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And the story continues. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She said, sister, she's had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, that is Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, 
few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord for a blessing over his word this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you that we could open your word. We thank you that we can dive into the theme of hospitality this morning. We pray, O oh God, that we will truly, truly, truly understand your hospitality towards us. And from that, derived from that understanding through faith, we will understand what it means to love well the stranger, the hurting, the broken. Lord, help us to be an hospitable people for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So our simple theme this morning is this, uh, devoted to radical, ordinary hospitality. We're going to look at the what, the why, and the how. It's pretty simple this morning. The what, the why, and the how of radical, ordinary hospitality. Let's begin with the what. What is Christian hospitality? Well, hospitality in Greek, the Greek word for hospitality that's used throughout the New Testament, means a love of strangers. A love of strangers. Now, that stranger could be a lot of different people. That stranger could be a widow. That stranger could be an orphan. That stranger could be the traffic, the poor, the refugee, the landed immigrant, the displaced, the children needing foster care, the homeless, and the list could go on. That stranger could also be in the New Testament writing someone whom you know who's in the body of believers or is traveling. And so we get this a sense that when Paul was traveling, people showed him hospitality and Luke wanted to record those stories. We get one, for example, when Lydia became a follower of Jesus, she's like, I really want to show hospitality. So verse 15 of, of chapter 16, she says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us. Luke and Paul and others, to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Let me have the privilege of showing you hospitality. Paul's like, okay. The English definition of hospitality is this. It's kindness in welcoming strangers or guests. So that's still connected to the Greek um, the business of working, providing accommodation, food, drink, entertainment, etc., for visitors. And then there's, of course, the hospitality industry. It's very interesting that when you follow the word hospitality, you find the word hospital in hospitality, and you also find the word hospice in hospitality. And I think that's important to know. That a big part of hospital care, I mean, the hospital is to provide care for the broken, for the hurting, for those who are in need. Something of that picture is given with hospitality. But ultimately, hospitality for the follower of Jesus is centered on one word, love. As one person writes, hospitality is love on the loose. I like that. Others have said hospitality is the antidote, the solution to fear in this world and hostility, to brokenness and to hurt. Whatever, however you want to see that love worked out, you have to understand that hospitality is defined by one word, but it's all bound up then in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's bound up, you could say, in the heart of God. Because God is love, 
God, you could say, is actually the very definition of hospitable. God, by his very nature, is the very definition of being hospitable to others. Every, listen, every act of hospitality in scriptures flows from our understanding who God is. You shouldn't be surprised then to realize that Jesus understood hospitality very well. Here's a challenge for you. It's a big one. So maybe a few of you will take it up. But if you were to read the Gospels from Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, with the lens of hospitality in view, so you're just looking at Jesus' ministry through the lens of hospitality, you'd be surprised how much you glean from his life and his ministry. I'll give you a bit of a hint, because I'm not sure if everyone is going to be able to do that over the next week or two. But you would find a Savior, as you read the Gospel, who's, who is displaced. He was born into a displaced family. He was forced to seek refuge and refu become a refugee and be at the mercy of another people from another nation. That's our Savior. You will find a Savior who commenced his ministry with hardly a dime to his name, nowhere to lie his head, and he became, a descend he became dependent, really, on other people's hospitality. That's how vulnerable he was. You'll meet a Savior that had untold love, untold compassion for the sick, for the demon-possessed, for the blind, for the crippled, for the dying, for the grieving. He fed the hungry. He advocated for the poor. He welcomed the vulnerable, and he blessed the babies whose mothers came with them. He loved the outcast, even the Samaritan, and he chastised those who oppressed God's people. Because he's hospitable. It doesn't end there, of course. All four of the Gospels will tell you a story of the greatest act of hospitality known to mankind, which is this, that our Savior became powerless, gave up his life, so that by dying in our place, we might live and be welcomed into an eternal home to enjoy the hospice of heaven forever never to be rejected, and never to be in want, because our God is hospitable. So in so many ways, when we talk about the what of hospitality, it's simply following in the footsteps of our Savior. He's the give, giving of life, giving of our time, giving of resources, as Christ would have us do. That's the what of hospitality, but here's the why. Why do we show hospitality? Why did the Samaritan help the victim, a Jewish victim, albeit a Jewish victim, on a highway after a hit and run? His help in so many ways was so ordinary. He just did what you would do if you weren't a doctor. You just bring this person to medical help. And yet it was very radical. Do you know that two-thirds of the people that passed by the victim of this roadside beating avoided him? Two-thirds. I know there's only three people. But still two-thirds. I wondered as I, as I was thinking about this, is that kind of how the church is? That two-thirds are kind of, look, askance to the needs of the, of the foreigner, to the stranger, to the hurting, and the one-third puts their hand to the plow? I don't know. I don't think so, but there are many reasons why we should choose not 
There are many reasons why people choose not to help someone who's hurting. Even Christians. Some of them are legit. Some of them aren't. I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want this act of hospitality to do what hospitality should do and forge a friendship. I don't want that to happen. I don't want to be out of pocket. It's going to cost me some money here. I don't want to waste my time. I'm busy. Or I don't want to waste my time with such a person as this. Loved ones, that's not love. That's what Jesus is addressing. And culturally, you understand that we're living in a culture that's becoming less, it's becoming less and less normal to show hospitality. Less and less normal to care for those who are hurting on the side of the street or on, the, on our streets of Hamilton or wherever. It's becoming less normal to help. And Jesus makes this prediction, he says, in, in, or a prophecy in, in, in Matthew 24, verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And I think sometimes we are drinking the same Kool-Aid as Christians of a very self-absorbed, me-first, fear-riddled, risk-adverse culture that's keeping us from really, truly loving other people. We are scared to put the hands of the stranger into the hands of the Savior because when you put the hands of the stranger into the hands of the Savior, you need to get really, really close sometimes and we might get hurt, so we just pull back. Are we afraid of the poor, the traffic, the hurting, the child in CAS care, the refugee, the landed immigrant who speaks another language? Are we afraid? And if we are, loved ones, have we in a real sense understood and experienced the hospitality of God shown to us? Do we know what it means? loved ones. Simply, do we know what it means to be loved by an hospitable God? To receive his hospitality, have we? Have we experienced it? Because unless we see ourselves, listen, unless we see ourselves as beggars displaced because of our sins and in need of the generous, warm love of Christ, we will have no love for the other. Unless we have found our rest in the one who says to us, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, we will provide no rest for other people. Unless we realize we are strangers, foreigners, worse, even enemies of God on account of our sins, and Jesus had to give his life to reconcile that relationship back to the Father, and then adopt us into his family, and then call us holy and dearly loved, unless we realize that that had to happen first, we got nothing for the stranger in our gates. Unless we realize that Jesus has opened the door of eternal life into an eternal home and has prepared a place for you, unless you realize that that's yours, you won't welcome other people in. Unless you realize that you are secure in his love, you will remain cold to the needs of others. 
Because you can't, loved ones, show true hospitality to others if you don't know the hospitality of Jesus for you. Full stop. Allow me to illustrate this. Probably a weak one. I always have disclaimers. <laughs> Illustrations are so hard. But you can't expect an unlit fireplace to provide you with warmth. It doesn't matter how beautiful that fireplace is. If that fireplace remains unlit, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to realize you're not going to get warm from that. It doesn't matter how obedient you are in coming to church. You could be faithful every single Sunday. It doesn't matter how much you say the right thing and do the right thing when, when justice requires it. If you don't know the warmth of Christ's hospitality to you, you are an unlit fire. You're cold. You know people like that? They confess Jesus as Savior, but there's no love in them. They don't care for the needs of others. They will avoid the hurting. They'll avoid the call to hospitality because they're unlit wood. Perish the thought that the church of Jesus Christ could remain unlit. And allow me to remind you this morning that because of Christ's finished work for us, because of his warm, warm hospitality shown us, it's not a surprise in Scripture that we constantly find the refrain to actually practice and show hospitality. It's because of the cross that the call out in Scripture is now to show it. Even before the cross, when God re redeemed his people out of Egypt, because of that work of redemption, he could say to them, in, in Deuteronomy 10, now this is a summary of him. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And here it comes. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. You are to love the sinner because you were once enslaved to the same sin that that person's enslaved to. So love them. Romans 12, 13, just quickly. Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, to the overseers. We, as, as leaders in the church, need to lead by example here. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, and hospitable. It helps if they're able to teach too. Hebrews 13, verse 2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's really cool. I think that's a connection to Abraham. 1 Peter 4 verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So important is this show of love of hospitality that Jesus uses it as a litmus test to see if we really belong to him. I'm going to say that again. So important is this act of hospitality, this love for the other, that Jesus uses this as a litmus test to see whether we actually belong to him or not. The sad reality to the story is that that happens on the day of judgment. So there's no way to undo the past. 
This is an alarming text. I was going to read it. It, it, Time was running out, so I'm just going to kind of summarize it. It's from Matthew 25. Most of you know the text. Some of you don't know the text. Let me give you the the context. Jesus is talking about the end of days when he comes to judge the living and the dead. And in this story, we hear of Jesus. He's the king of kings now, and he's separating what we call the sheep from the goats. And then he speaks to them. They're not really sheep. They're not really goats. They're followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus. But he uses the metaphor of sheep and goat. He'll put one on the left and one on the right. To the right, he says these words in in Matthew 25, verse 34. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take my inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I'll help you out there. And the righteous will answer, Lord... (laughs) When did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did, when did you, when were you thirsty? When did we give you something to drink? When did you, we see you as a stranger? Verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And the inverse is the same. What you didn't do to them, you didn't do to me. And then he's going to say, away from me. You don't know the love of Jesus if you don't show hospitality. It's that simple. The Lord does not mince any word when it comes to our call as followers of him to show his heart to a broken world. He doesn't mince any words in that call. It's a Christian virtue. But let's close with this. It's the how. We ask the why, the what, now the how. It's interesting, if you read through Scripture and you ask the question, how do we show hospitality, we're not prescribed a, a, a format or formula for hospitality. Never once does it tell us to go to Pinterest, by the way, to properly decorate our home and find the best recipe. It does actually give us a lot of things to grab on. It gives us pictures of what hospitality looks like, but it really gives us the heart of a hospitable person. Now I know that there are many different contexts of the lives that we live in in this congregation, and I'm speaking mostly now to the people I know. I don't know some of you. Love you. Don't know you. Some of you have showed so much hospitality over the last year or two that you're hurting yourself and your family. Some of you this morning need to just get alone in prayer and bathe in the warmth of Jesus' generous hospitality towards you and let that fill your soul. Some of you are there. Some of you simply need to recharge. Some of you are just managing and caring for your little children and it's just going crazy in the house. There's diapers, there's dirty laundry, there's food on the floor, there's food, you know. And you're like, to have someone into this mess with me, it's it's just going to be mayhem for that person. I feel sorry for that person. Maybe right now, you can't invite anybody into your home. 
Some of you have hearts bursting in love for the hurting that you're walking the streets of the city with Narcan kits to help those who are near death. Others are finding ways to connect with this community through Urban Farm, through Oriel Crescent, through Indwell, ways to love on this community, and I commend you. Others, way, others are finding ways to open your homes for, for, as a safe family home to provide respite care for those children who are in need. Others are thinking about fostering children. You're showing Christ-like love. what I'm going to say now I also say in love I worry that some of you even amongst us this morning are unlit piles of wood some of you have had a hard time you'll have a hard time facing the judgment seat of Christ on the day of days were you to die tonight because your little world just circles totally on yourself your family, your wants, your needs, your desires, your securities, your fears, and you have nothing to give to the stranger, to the hurting, to the people who are walking these streets, to the homeless, to the poor, to the broken. My heart breaks for you. Even as it breaks for me when the orientation of my heart is the same, away from the hurting and back into my security and building those walls around me to keep that security safe. My heart breaks for me. Do we loved ones have room for the stranger, for the hurting, for the refugee, for the broken, for the poor, for the traffic, for the people of this community? Do you? Do you have a heart for these people? Because if you don't, this may not be the church for you. You got to get on your knees and repent. God places us in a community with broken people. And we are the hands and feet of Christ to these broken people. There's this old story. It's fictitious. I get it, but it drives the point home, so I'm going to use this story. The story kind of combines Matthew 25 and Luke 10 together. It's the story of a Palestinian woman, or Jewish woman, in the time of Jesus. It's not a true story. I said it's fictitious. Who Jesus meets at a marketplace in one of the towns, maybe say Bethsaida or something. And Jesus says to this woman, I want to come to your home tonight for dinner. I'll probably have a bit of an entourage. She's super stoked. She goes home on Pinterest to find out the best... No, she doesn't. She just goes home, and she starts to clean the house, scrubbing it straight and down. She just looks after... The house is immaculate within an hour. And then she's like, okay, i got to cook a really good dinner. I mean, Jesus is coming. So she goes, and she goes to the store. She buys some food. She really, she doesn't have quite enough. She goes and gets some more. She goes to the well to get some water. She comes back from the well, brings more water. And then she goes again because she's like, I don't have quite enough water. And, she, and, and she's like, okay, ho, ho, I'm ready. I'm ready for him. But in the meantime, she meets an elderly man who asks her for a cup of water. And she says, I, I, sorry, I, I don't have time right now to help you. 
A sandalless boy, a beggar who is on the street, says, please, ma'am, can I have a little bit to eat? He says, no, 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 sorry, sorry, I, I got to go. I got I got an important guest coming. <laughs> a woman comes to her house in need of some flour because she has no money to buy flour at the store. She says, can I borrow some of your flour? She says, no, I need all the flour for my guests. To all of them, she says no. And then she sits there waiting for her Savior to come to the table. And he doesn't come. So the next morning she wakes up and she's quite disappointed and partly angry at her Savior for not coming to her house. And she finds him back in the marketplace doing what Jesus did. Helping people, teaching people, healing people. And she puts it straight to Jesus. She says, Jesus, why didn't you come? Jesus said, I did come. But you never cared for me. What you didn't do to the least of these people that came to you that evening for help, you did to me or didn't do to me. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. It's not about how nice your house is, loved ones. Or how messy it is. Or whether you're a great cook. Or not a great cook or a great conversationalist, or not a great conversationalist. The gift of hospitality is about showing love and respite and care for the hurting that will ultimately, you hope, grow into a friendship that will ultimately bring them closer to Jesus. You know what hospitality does? It makes strangers into neighbors and embraces neighbors so that by God's grace and through much prayer, they can become part of the family of Jesus. That's why you show hospitality, so that somehow you can put the hands of your Savior into the hands of the broken and be there to kind of help that negotiate that, build that, whatever God's going to use you to be part of that story so that that knits together to become something beautiful. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about going in Christ's name and by his grace and through his power, allowing those who don't know him to know him. And you're the conduit of love that binds those stories together. And may God bless us as we do that. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of hospitality, and, I, and we, we're going to admit that we have drunk the Kool-Aid of our Western culture, that we're pretty self-driven, self-motivated, that we might care more about our RSPs than our neighbor, more about our vacations than our neighbor, more about the security of our home than the people who are living in a community that you're calling us to reach. Forgive us, Father. Help us to be agents of your love. Help us to be hospitable. And Lord, if we're just trying to make it through the day because our lives are just so crazy busy, help us to navigate that life, that busyness. What of that busyness is just raising a family, doing our work, and what of that business, busyness is pure selfishness.
open our hearts. Light us on fire by your Holy Spirit and give us a burning passion to be like Christ to our community, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.